Hey guys, Alexa Curtis here, and you're listening to This Is Life Unfiltered. And I've been wanting to have her on for so long since I met her at an event that I went to at a hotel in Watch Hill, Rhode Island, which I think was in either August or July. And instantly when I met her, I was like, oh my gosh, even though I have every single podcast booked for the next 10 weeks, I was like, I need to find a spot for her. So she's in LA right now and we're at her hotel. We found a conference room. So hopefully this sounds okay in terms of this since we're not at the studio. But I want to welcome with a very big welcome, Avril Graham. She is the executive fashion and beauty editor for Harper's Bazaar US. Avril, thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure. It's so funny seeing you in the Nomad Hotel downtown. I know. From one gorgeous hotel to the last. Exactly. We were actually modeling. Yeah. Show, we? And of course, you're so glam and I'm like so LA, just like about to go to the gym after this. And this is like <laughs> the difference between New York and LA. But I know you don't have a lot of time. So take us back to the beginning. How did your entire journey start? My entire journey started. Okay. So it was kind of a weird transition into the fashion industry. Um, I studied communications, not fashion, actually, in university back in Scotland, in Edinburgh. I moved to London, which is the heart of the publishing empire, media empire for the the UK. And it's actually, although we're a very small country in Europe, we do tend to sort of give birth to quite big editors. So it's a a weird thing that the editor-in-chief of Bazaar, the editor-in-chief of Vogue, people like Tina Brown, I mean, you can rattle them all off. There's such a lot of Brits in our industry. It's just a weird thing, but I didn't expect to be in the US. So I started, I went to London and I started working on a magazine, the equivalent of Town and Country. It was called Country Life. So very sort of aristocratic, country style. Uh, Imagine all of the the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge in their country house with their barber jackets and their Hunter Wellington boots on. It was that kind of demographic. Um, Then I subsequently started working on sort of the younger, trendier magazines um, back in the day. And then I worked on the launch of Marie Claire magazine in the UK, which was really good fun. Um, Traditionally, Marie Claire, as everyone knows from the book stands what that is, is um, half owned by the French publishing company and half owned by whoever's publishing it in whatever other country so I was working a lot with the French team in Paris uh, so and being in the in London it was lovely because we could just hop on a quick over the ocean flight for 40 minutes and from London to Paris it's nothing it was before the tunnel um, and so I loved working on that publication. It became, rapidly became the best-selling fashion magazine, an intellectually interesting magazine in, in the UK. And, and in fact, Tony Blair credited his win for getting the young women vote on the Marie Claire Reader. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So we were very proud of that little note when he said that. Um, then subsequently, I moved over to New York and I became I started working on the launch of the American version so having worked with one it was great because I knew that product very well but the market was slightly different in the in the US it was a slightly more mass market aimed at capturing the glamour reader the mademoiselle reader people who had that sort of intellectual interest at that level and it became a very good best-selling magazine and so um, when the editor-in-chief moved from Marie Claire to Bazaar 
as a fashion editor, my goodness, you know, to be working on one of the most iconic fashion brands in the world and for the mothership to be based in the US, very important move for me. So I haven't looked back. I love doing what I do. Did you ever expect when you were growing up that this is what your job would be? Um, well, I was always the kind of girl that, with her Barbie dolls, collected all the latest looks. I can still remember all of the ones that I collected. I would make my own runway. I would make my own clothes. Uh, she was always very glamorous, slightly chameleon moment, um, even on my dolls. And I, it was kind of something I had aspired to doing. And I kind of thank my lucky stars that I am doing it, even busy weeks like I'm having in L.A. when I'm coming here to open stores, to host big runway shows, to host dinners, um, that kind of thing. And it's busy and I'm meeting our reader and I'm working with amazing designer brands. Every aspect of what I do, I enjoy. I like the communications business. That's what I do. Not to mention you also have two kids. Yeah, I've got two kids. Which is just the fact that you are able to yeah. balance both is just right. incredible. You know, and there would be occasions that, um, you know, we would be going to New York collections and there's sometimes there would be shows on a Sunday. I would take my little boy and he would crouch down at, um, by my feet on the front row with his little throwaway camera back in the day taking pictures as the models walk down the runway and little did I know that he would end up being a creative director in advertising isn't that funny how the how, how it works that, but quite often that's how it happens is it yeah. kind of goes down the line if it does. you're in entertainment or whatnot right I think there's something to be said that there's a creative gene but when you have children for all those people out there who've not had kids and they aspire to having this sort of little mini me type person you have to think that, you know what, well, I was very open. If they wanted to be an accountant sitting shuffling paper and doing a desk job, that's their mm -hmm. journey, that's their vision. Uh, but as it turned out, they both ended up being creatives. As the younger one is working with enormous bands out here in L.A., so he's working with some of the biggest rap names in the business and some of the rock, biggest rock names in the business, and he's doing all of their creatives and visuals for that. So, yes, next time you go to Coachella, he may have done the staging. <laughs> Pretty cool. So when you were growing up, and especially when you started going to university, now you're in the public eye and you're so well known and you've been on these red carpets and talk shows and whatnot. But do you think that what you studied in college helped transition to the role that you have now? Because initially also when you started as an editor, you wouldn't have had nearly the responsibility right. that you have now. Yeah. And I remember distinctly how that happened, actually. I mean, in, when you do a communications course, as all students out there who are doing that now will testify, you're taught how to present to large groups of people. You're taught how you're given media training, etc. But you kind of it goes in one ear out the other because you never kind of think you're going to end up there. Had I thought that when I was getting that in in Edinburgh University back in the day, that I would be on Oprah, I would be on Larry King, I would be on Barbara Walters, I would be, you know. Uh, broadcasting from London, from the royal weddings, from the opening ceremonies at Olympics. I would never in a million years have imagined that, but that's where it's taken me. Um, and it's something I thoroughly enjoy. So for kids out there or young people who are listening and are wondering, they want to follow in your path or do something similar to what you've done, especially in the, in the industry of creative writing or editorial direction and whatnot, right. would you suggest college? Oh, my goodness, yes. Of course I would suggest college. I think everyone should aspire to go to college. But if you get a fabulous offer 
and you're halfway through college, which actually one of my sons did, then sometimes you could think you should think maybe that's something that's in the ether. Maybe I should kind of grab it with both hands and not necessarily feel it's always the traditional route. I think you need to know your own sense of self, your own sense of confidence and I think also if you say if you if you say things loud enough, sometimes they're gonna happen, mm -hmm. you know? I want to do that. I want to do that. I mean, I'm not su suggesting that if you want to be a race car driver, you're going to be the next Lewis Hamilton if you're really not a very good driver. Or you want to be the next Dali, but you actually can't paint. Or you want to be the next Martha Stewart, but you can't bake a cake. Mm -hmm. Much as you want to, you've got to realize your own limits. So go with something. I, this is what I said to my boys growing up. Is if you don't feel like you're working because you enjoy it so much then you know you're doing something that's really right for you. When you start moaning about, oh, I don't want to go into the office, I hate doing it after hours, I don't like working at weekends, and you're kind of not loving your job. Back in 2012, you wrote a series for Harper's Bazaar called Postcards from London while covering the royal wedding. What was your inspiration for that style structure, and do you still have the poncho they gave you at the concert? Oh, gosh, yes, I do. Gosh, <laughs> I can't believe you remembered that. Of course. Um, funnily enough, I was with a colleague of mine just this week in L.A. She flew in from London. Um, and we were just talking about that. That was a pinch-me moment, I must say, when you're dispatched to go and cover a royal wedding. And I was just thinking about this um, in terms of when you go and cover something like that, you're getting a lot of embargoed information from the palace. This, and this occasion, the first one was Kate and William's wedding. And I was getting all of these embargoed notes about what medals the boys would be wearing at the wedding, what um, military uniforms they were going to be wearing, all the official stuff that was coming in from the royal family. And it was under strict embargo, but, 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 boom, whatever time Eastern. And I'm thinking to myself, hang on, now what's my timing here? I'm in London. Can I say this? Can I publish it? Will I be have my head cut off and like stuck on the stake and... Um, on, in the Tower of London for doing this wrong. But it was it's very much understanding as a journalist how these things tick. So I thought it was kind of interesting whilst I was there to do television. I was working with CNN International. I was working with um, Access Hollywood, Primetime, and their day show, um, doing a lot of different segments. Oh, and the Today Show, of course, which I do all the time. But... Um, speculating what the dress might be, talking about the dress codes that you would wear to an English wedding, you know, that kind of thing. So we're all looking at fillers to keep everyone excited because there's such an insatiable interest back in the US for this first huge royal wedding for, for a long time. And for me, I just thought, I'm doing this for television, but how cool would it be to be covering this as well for the digital side, for Bazaar? So that's the joy of having a brand like ours. We have that print version where people love those glossy pictures. They want to read this with a sort of elegant, luxurious feel. But then there's a digital side where you want something quick, snappy, just read it fast. Um, so we have that two sides to Harper's Bazaar, which is lovely. And I thought reporting as a postcard, that's the way you want to read it. So everything from me waking up in my bedroom and hearing the sounds of the rehearsals of the horses and all of... Because a wedding isn't just like three cars arriving to the church. 
This is like masses of processions, military processions, and every single horse and every single soldier is to the book, to the inch, to the millimeter. So in the middle of the night, there were research and we'd put sand down in the streets, in the main roads. The traffic was stopped and the military would start rehearsing so that there wouldn't be anything that was out of place. Crazy. That's insane. You mentioned the pinch me moment. I'm curious, you know, at the beginning of your career, did you have times where you would have just jumped and said something or like gotten in trouble for like saying something wrong? I mean, because there's I mean, so you're many... always worried about something yeah. like that. And especially when you're doing live television, you never really know what someone's going to ask you. Is it some contentious yeah, question? Of course. But really, I think if you can answer something from the heart, that's a good that's mm-hmm. obviously a good thing. Of course, I've had other pinch me moments. And I was hosting a fashion show and I was telling the crowd this story, actually, because I was doing something with Versace and it brought me back to being literally my very first trip to Milan. And I'm watching my very first Versace show. And this is before Donatella. This is when Gianni was still designing. And this was the era of the mega supermodels of which there's been nothing like it since. So I'm sitting on the back row at the Versace show, my very first one, and it was amazing. The the sounds of George Michael's latest hit, there was just one tall chair on the runway. It was all black with one pinpoint light. And then one by one, all the supers came out and stood around the back of the chair, all wearing Versace leather jackets with the chains and the... um, the safety pins. It just looked so good. It was a real pinch me moment. And I thought, will it get any better? Because literally, I think I've died and gone to heaven in the back row. <laughs> I could barely see to the bottom. It was like 40 rows up. And now that I've got down to the front row, sometimes those moments looking back at that first time was very special. Mm-hmm. And it was every bit as special as getting to the front row and practically being able to like touch. Gigi or touch Bella or you know it's I can kind of understand that the lady that recently rushed the Chanel show and dashed up to have her moment in her Chanel suit yeah um you know it's a sort of it's a thing of fantasy for lots of little girls of course well that's why I'm so curious like when you first started this and as you worked your way up did you have times where you doubted yourself yes really question oh you did okay. yeah yeah of course I mean I started in sloppy jobs like everyone else thinking oh my gosh am I ever going to get any you know any better and then the progression is always that you've got to keep moving around and then find that niche that works for you and when you find it it's kind of a joy it's a revelation but don't get me wrong you know with even even at Bazaar we, we work very hard um you know, when you see those gorgeous shoots and beautifully orchestrated, you know, people may have walked up an icy mountain at 4 a.m. in the morning and had to put a swimsuit on and, or, you know, steaming clothes and trunks of this or be stuck in customs in Timbuktu with, or being shut down with people who say the permits weren't right. You know, those are the, the little things. There's aggravations along the way. But when you can look at the perfect shot... And then potentially get awards for it. How fabulous is that? Yeah. You know, you look at, I mean, a lot of our covers have, you know, win multi, multiple awards. 
and it's not easy putting those things together. Well, and there's this expectation in entertainment that because you're only seeing the final image, like, yeah. and especially when you look at you, you're seeing this amazing, successful woman who's so glam. But they're not seeing all the years that you work to get right. to where you are. But I'm still going to Costco and yeah. buying my shopping like everybody else. Yeah, of course. You know that's that's the wonderful thing and. The great thing about what I'm doing now is obviously I'm working with a, a kind of a high level with amazing brands. So, you know, I can count the designers as people I know. And, you know, I go around to their houses for dinner and those sort of things. That's a very absolutely a joy as well. But if I'm working on the Today Show or I'm working on a very much a mass market television show and they say, can you restyle this, this lady? But the budget's $50. I love doing that. I mean, I can't think of anything better than going into somewhere like Kohl's or Target or H&M and finding the perfect thing mm -hmm. and making it look like a million bucks. Because it's, fashion is not about the price. It's about the understanding of how to juggle and put a look together. Yeah. And kind of it's not something that you can be taught you kind of have to have that from within. So the new young stylists that I see up and coming, um, you know, it's a joy to think there's another fresh of breath air, fresh breath of fresh air. Um, it's not just about the older ones, but not. Don't let it be said that the younger generation doesn't look up to the young, mm -hmm. the older oh, ones, of course. because there's spectacular, brilliant, amazing fashion stylists who are well in their 60s and some into their 70s that would really knock your socks off. Mm. And that would be styling with all the off-whites, all the Balenciagas, all the kind of street fashion labels as well. So you've got to keep your eye on everything, mm -hmm. not just the haute couture that costs $200,000 a dress, but the trendy sneaker that costs $1,000 and also the lower end as well. Well, that that's, fast fashion is really chic. Too. Yeah, that's a great lead into my next question because that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, what do you think as somebody who's grown up with the most expensive, beautiful vintage brands? You know, what do you think about the Supremes and the Off Whites and the fact that on Melrose people are standing for hours to get literally a white hoodie when it's like it's nowhere, in my opinion, near like a green Versace dress. I know but people are captivated. No, I gave birth to somebody like that. Mm, yeah, of course. It knows exactly the drop in yeah. North Fairfax. And what day it is. Um, but we'll happily be able to edit exactly the right one out of the, the rack and knows which ones to walk away from. But I think street fashion right now is what is driving so much of the fashion industry. And I think a lot of it's being born actually in this town, in L.A. L.A. is going through a massive resurgence, I think, in terms of its fashion mojo. It's got it going on again. Um, Street fashion is always very important. It has been throughout the decades. You know, you look at Kurt Cobain and grunge, you look at you know, Catherine Hamnett and Ban the Pershing Bomb with Margaret Thatcher, like back in the 80s. There are so many moments that are street fashion inspired, but right now we're going through one. Hence, you look at somebody like Louis Vuitton doing the collaborations with Supreme because it gave that lovely marriage of that, cool hip factor to a very prestigious design house mm -hmm. who we all know and love so you've got the ladies who love that traditional side with a little Vuitton bag but you've got the others who are just desperately keen on finding that weekend supreme bag you know I think there's also an essence of social media and how that plays a role and how a lot of these brands also become 
successful. So what is your opinion, which I know I think we talked about when we first met on the whole like influencer thing and just the fact that you can become so viral overnight, but Mm -hmm. then a lot of people think like, that's it. That's, I'm already successful, but there's so much that would have to happen to still maintain yourself as a brand, even with a million Instagram followers. Right. I think it's, we've got, you've got to be very careful about this because everything has a cycle. Media has a cycle. Fashion has a cycle. Consumerism has a cycle. So whilst we're in the middle of this big sort of bubble where you can earn a lot for your Instagram post and you are helping a brand push its story across to a lot of followers, I don't think that anyone should really go down that track and think that that's the only thing they need to be. So, you know, a a friend like Brian Boy, for example, knows what he's doing. He's so interesting to talk to because he knows his fashion and he knows his history of fashion. So this is not just about someone who's saying, hey, look at how good I look with this on. And here I am sitting on the front row. He's got like um, much more of a, a sort of take, I feel, on that Mm -hmm. Um, and perhaps not everybody does I think it's very important to have the social media following I think it's important for us as a brand bizarre as well Um, we're very we're very popular in that regard as well I mean we have to because there's crazy things that happen that to our brand yeah I was just talking about this the other day that um, in fact I don't know why I was talking so much about bizarre the other day but anyway um, we have a very big party that happens every year in September during New York Fashion mm-hmm. Weeks. It's called our Icons Party. It's styled by Kareen Rockfeld, one of the biggest and best stylists in the world. She's our international fashion stylist. And she styles a, a, a piece for the magazine every September called Icons. And it goes into every single international edition of which I believe we've either got 35 or 53, but it's so early on Saturday morning, I can't think which one. Um, And last year we had our wonderful party. It was extremely good. Uh, It was everyone wants the tickets. Not everyone can get the tickets. And I'm walking out from the Tom Ford show. And who's next to me but Cardi B? And we were talking about her coming to party. She was telling me what she was wearing. It was a red dress. I was talking with her stylist about that too because she just had her baby fairly recently. And that was the year that... Poor Cardi B didn't quite get into the party because that was the, the year of the flying shoe. I don't know if you remember that one where she threw a shoe at Nicki Minaj. There was a massive scuffle. It was everywhere. That's the kind of thing that's a viral phenomenon. So that was on every single front page. And it's it's those sort of unforecastable moments that are... Again, the power of social media is everything. So what happened? She just didn't get into the show? Like you guys there was a, didn't admit there her was, ticket? No, it wasn't, it wasn't so much us. It was a big security issue, a big oh, paparazzi wow. issue. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was kind of a well-known thing. But subsequently, they've both made up and we love them both. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's too, like, cool. And it's that's, like, weird, but also cool. It was like, just one of those sort of girly moments that no one could possibly have imagined of, was going to happen. Of but course. it course. So you're launching a new television series called Platinum Eye where you focus on life behind the velvet ropes. What were some challenges you didn't expect to come across during the show's production and how did you handle them? And okay. I know this airs in March. Yes. So, yeah, we've, um, we're have we airing on A&E in March and it's uh, called Platinum Eye and it's a great show about luxury. So I'm covering it in all its forms, fashion, travel, culture, the arts, profiles, that kind of thing. So it's going to be different every week. 
And yeah, we've been very lucky. I've just got back last week from filming in Morocco and Marrakesh. Um, Casual. Dashed, dashed out here to um, to do all my sort of big openings and things like this lovely moment. And next week I head, next Sunday, after oh, five days in New York, I head to, uh, to Cognac and Paris. And I'll be filming there and other episodes. So, well, yeah, it's been very good. And was this a show that they came to you for or you had the idea? No, I had the idea. Okay. I had the idea in my back pocket for a little while. And it's so good that um, everyone at Bazaar is so uh, supportive of. And I'll be able to do both things, which is lovely. Uh, so I've managed to juggle it. So the first episode is going to be at Highclere Castle with Earl and Countess Carnarvon, where Danton Abbey is filmed. Yeah. And so there's so many interesting things you haven't seen about that particular place. It's vast, massive, massive, massive. You can't believe how gorgeous it is. So that was another little pinch me moment as well. That's so cool. To be rattling through the wardrobes and pulling out all of these sort of vintage pieces that were worn by real past countesses, not the actress variety. Yeah. But it can't just be all like glam, you just show up and that's it. I mean, especially when it comes to production and, and being um, involved with TV. I mean, there's got to be so many challenges that you've had along the way, like through the journey. Actually, you know what? Not really. Ah, okay. So I'm executive producer on it and I'm hosting it. I've got an, another ex- executive producer. There's two of us. So we, we're quite a tight team with our filming capacity too. And it's all off the cuff so um, we've been to the most glamorous and fabulous destinations and hopefully that sort of spreads a little look into what makes those things tick we met in a beautiful place didn't we We of course we met at ocean house but you weren't filming the show there no i wasn't filming the show there but your listeners should know that you know we were we were we literally met the house the the hotel that was next door to Taylor Taylor Swift's house yeah who was like up on the up on the hill she wasn't actually staying there at the Mm -hmm. time but would we be modeling if she was there I don't know (laughs) she would be modeling she would be modeling there um but I mean it's so incredible that you had such a successful career and you also have truly worked your way up so I think that you just in general are an incredible figure for young women and men to look up to and aspire um, aspire to be and, and also on that note you strike me as somebody who's different than other um, editors or people at the top of these companies because you yourself have a personal brand not every editor is out trying to you know Actually, also that's host true. Maybe that's true. I haven't thought show. about that. Yeah, um, which I think is really unique. And it's also, you're out hosting these, uh, like, you know, you could also be classified as an influencer in a sense. Right. And is that something that you have innately always been like? Because Don't you, you think we are always in it? Don't you think I, I think everyone is, Traditional yeah. print editors were kind yes. of like, you look at someone like Grace Coddington. Sure. Who was an inter- influencer in her own way? And look at someone like Carly Surf Zeal, who was on um, British American Vogue for the longest time, and who now is still styling amazing runway shows for Jeremy Scott yeah. and for Moschino, and they're great. You know, she was known as the gal in the eighties that like layered on her jewelry. She always looked fabulous on the front row and head to toe Chanel, but in a really funky way. And so the idea that she's styling the runway shows for Jeff, for Jeremy Scott is just great because it's so right. So she's taking those great girls like Bella and Gigi and Kaya and all of those girls of the moment. But she styled the biggies back in the day as well. The Christy Turlingtons, the uh, Linda Evangelistas, Naomi, Kate Moss. I mean, the great thing about working in my industry and having been around for a period of time 
is that it's very interesting to see some of the girls grow up before our very eyes. So I was thinking about Kate Moss and her very first pictures for the face in London, discovered in an airport on vacation with her parents. I think she was like 14 or something. And her first shots for the face, like very, very simple, non-made up, on a beach, racing about young Kate, smiley with her gappy teeth. And then you saw her progression coming into the major runway shows in Milan back in the day, that season, I said, Versace, when she was the smallest one. She was the smallest one. The girls towered up, uh, you know, head and shoulders above her. And now, look, she's still fabulous. Mm -hmm. She's still the face of great brands. And she's in her 40s. You know, there's a lot to be said about that. So the one thing I would say is don't knock the valuable information you can learn from your peers who are older. Mm. Because I would say that sometimes the younger generation, and I was like this myself until I realized that I was wrong, you think you kind of know it all. And then I remember sitting next to a very big stylist who will not be named, but I actually have just named her, um, sitting at shows in Milan where we would be looking at, you know, I was thinking, I'm thinking of going to Tom Ford shows or for Gucci when he did that. And there's 60 exits out of a show, 60 looks. And you'll find that the top stylists in the world will all be arguing over getting the world exclusive on the same look. Mm. Out of 60. So we all know what that is, and we all want it. So if we're shooting a cover, and we know we've got, I don't know, Jennifer Lopez, Cardi B, Taylor Swift, Jenna, whoever, um, booked Gwyneth, whatever, for a, a shoot the next week, and we know it's, oh, we're shooting her in on a rock and golden eye in Jamaica or something, that's the perfect dress. We immediately, before the show is over, try to get that world exclusive and go, yellow dress, US Bazaar, we need it in Paris, and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it just was a learning curve for me to learn from my older peers why we wanted that look, what made that look so great. And they were handing that information down. Why did it make it so great? It's just you know it's going to be a great... You know it's going to be something that that's the shot that's going to pop on the newsstand that's, be, that's going to be incredible in terms of something historical that will win awards, that we'll, we'll know what it's going to look at. Mm. I mean, there's a dress, for example, we shot... I wish I could show it. Um, and it was a picture... We have two different cover, covers every month for Bazaar. The newsstand cover will be a close-up of a face generally or to the waist with a lot of cover lines so that the reader who isn't a regular reader can see what's inside, knows whether we're talking about an age-related thing, a trend-related thing, a sneaker-related thing, or whatever. Um, they get the feeling of it. The subscribers who know and love the brand and want it as collector's items to keep and love, we can show the most beautiful image with no cover lines, maybe just one tagline on the bottom. And there was a beautiful dress that we saw at um, Tom Ford with just a plain black dress, slit up to here. We knew we were shooting Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, we got that dress. We didn't even show her face in the picture. And you just saw a swathe of beautiful hair that was sort of Veronica Lake curls. And it was just all about the dress and Gwyneth. You knew it was her without actually seeing her. Mm -hmm. So it's just the visual and the way that the sort of creative vision comes together the sittings editor, the photographer, the clothes, the subject.
mm-hmm. this type of thing. So those group of models, that group of models you mentioned, compared to like Christy Turlington, Cindy Crawford, now you're talking about a lot of these top quote-unquote supermodels are all right. kids of either very like wealthy, successful, mm-hmm. and public eye parents, which is not how it used to be. Those days right. of scouting, it's like two out of the top ten models were scouted in an airport in like Brazil. What do you think about that? We still are getting lots of them. Mm-hmm. And the top agencies in New York will always do fresh fresh faces, sort of go-sees with us. They'll call up our photo editors, our talent bookers, and they'll say, we've got a new couple of new girls in town. Can you just have a quick look and, and give us your opinion? So-and-so, such-and-such a big photographer has taken a kind of look at this girl and says, you should look. So we'll see really raw, new, young, new Kates. You know, it could be someone that's just fresh from Sudan. It could be someone from Afghanistan. It could be someone from Ohio. I mean, it's so multicultural now. It's great. And, you know, we, we're used to seeing people come in with their moms or with their model booker. They're that young. Um, so, again, it's... And you know that that could be the next face. Mm-hmm. But those girls are still not as prominent on the runways. It's all now, like, kind of the top five girls, which all, I feel like, happen to come from... Well, it just so happens the L.A. ones do. Yeah. But even in, like, even looking at pictures from, like, London Fashion Week Milan, it's, like, Bella, Gigi, Kaya, Haley. Well, I don't think Haley Ball. Haley doesn't walk. She doesn't walk. Um, but it's still, um, yeah, I mean, we're going through a phase. Kendall, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I didn't see them. Kendall didn't do too much this year. But, um, yeah. We, and as I say, we work with them all. They're yeah. great. Do you but, think that that will, like, that will change and go back? Yes, yeah, so yeah. there'll be a cycle. Yeah. There'll be another cycle. They always change. Mm-hmm. You go through a phase. I mean, there was a phase in the early 90s where it was all, like, skinny blondes. Yeah, of course. And there was nobody else. And then all of a sudden now we're embracing such a multiculturalism and a bevy of different shapes. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got Ashley Graham, who actually she didn't really walk very much because she's pregnant um, this season, but... You know, that curvy girl's coming in. And again, this idea that we're now addressing the fact that not everyone's cookie cutter, which is, which good. is marvelous. That should stay. That should not be a chance. Yeah, I don't, think, it'll, I don't yeah. think it's going to go away. I don't think it's going to go away. So, Avril, you as a brand, as well as Harper's as a brand, what is both of your end goals? Like, where would you like to see the magazine and where would you like to see yourself in, say, five or ten years? Well, I love what I'm doing now. So um, I like to think that I can give a little of a positive spin on, on life and starting out. So just just actually yesterday I, I went to talk to a group of, of uh, school juniors. They're sitting their SATs actually at the moment. And I was giving them some positive sort of um, momentum, I think, just to say that it's not about where you are end up. It's about your journey. So it doesn't matter whether you're going to community college or Harvard. Uh, you can make it. Mm-hmm. A, t- a ton of top people didn't even go to college. So it's having a real sense of drive. And I think I see that in my own sons, actually. I think the millennials and the pre-millennials are, really have a sense of entrepreneurship. It's, about, it's not waiting to be offered a job that's a nine-to-five, you know, five weeks holiday a year. And the white picket fence, I don't think that's what you guys are into anymore. I think it's about being your own boss. I think it's about having your own business. Having multiple revenue streams seems to be the order of the day. 
which I think is kind of sensible. It's like work for yourself. It has a real great feeling to it too. Yeah. But I think there's also a lot of people that that's not right for them. No. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's fine. We all have our dreams. You know, everybody has their dream. Um, and if you can manage to get hold of a tiny little bit of it, that's a marvelous thing. But my advice would be just do whatever makes you feel like you want to get out of bed every day. And if it's not making you feel like that, then swap it out and do something else. If you're working in a store and the manager's horrible and you hate the day, look for some, another job in another mm-hmm. store where yeah. there might be people you love seeing every day, you go out with after work. You know, you don't have to aspire to like some way over the top job. Sure. Avril, where can everyone find you on social media as well as watch your upcoming show? Well, oh, that is so sweet of you. Yeah. It's like I'm the last I'm the last to shine a light on myself. So I was very, <laughs> very late in coming to Instagram. Yeah. So I do Avril at Bazaar on Twitter and it's Avril underscore Graham um, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And the show. And the show is Platinum Eye. Which airs on a, day. Which airs Weekend Prime. We, wow. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm airing on Weekend Prime in March. It's really exciting. So I'm already working... We've still got four more to shoot, and I'm already working on the... the, I've already decided on the 10 for the second season. So I'm kind of, like, it's even given me drive at my age. And, like, you know, my boys are... I'm an empty nester. My boys have gone. But equally, they've got a mom that they can come to... My youngest son went to USC, and if I said, hey, I'm in town this weekend, come to some of our parties that we've got, he would find himself in the VIP area with his arm around Kendall Jenner. And he would go back to his dorm, and his, his friends are going... That's definitely somebody else's head on, on your body. There's no way you you said your mother was coming to town. You said, yeah, but it's what she does. Yeah, <laughs> you are so such an awesome person to talk to. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and for sharing so much incredible wisdom um, that I think many people are going to resonate with. So thank you so much again. For I coming. hope so. Thank I you very so much. Too. Of course, and that's a wrap. You got every single episode. I will put a blog post up about the guest and where you can follow them, as well as if you look in. In the bio of every episode, you will see um, a little bio about the guest and what this episode entails. So make sure to follow This Is Life Unfiltered on social media, as well as my personal social media, which is at Alexa underscore Curtis. And you can head to lifeunfilteredwithalexa.com for more about Avril and her incredible journey. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.